You are listening to WPRK 91.5, the voice of Rollins College, Winter Park, Florida. Welcome to the Crummer Hour on WPRK 91.5 Rollins College. I'm your host, Clara Mount. Today's show is brought to you by the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College and Victor Media Group. You can check out Victor Media Group and its growing library of shows and podcasts at victormediagroup.co. So today our guest is Dr. Robert Prescott, a former executive and residence associate professor and now continuing graduate faculty of management at the Crummer Graduate School of Business. And I'm here today with our panel of Crummer students and alumni, which includes Kyle Sawyer, current student in EA MBA 37, Serge Albino, MBA 2010, who's co-founder and CEO of Ecospheres, and I'm, as always, Clara Mount, MBA 2020. Welcome, everyone. Um, so in a moment, we're going to listen to the Crummer Connections interview with Dr. Bob that was broadcast this past May. But before we do that, I want to ask the panel to share some of their thoughts on what we should listen for in this interview. Um, so let's start with Kyle. What should listeners check out? Yeah, Dr. Bob is a natural storyteller, and he really knows how to empower others. Um, I'm super bummed that I never got to have him as a professor, but um, I am proud to say that we both share the hometown of Birmingham, Alabama, uh, and he's a wonderful representative <laughs> of the city, for sure. And, and you, my friend, and you. I love that. All right, Serge, what should we listen for? You know, if I could only say one negative thing about Dr. Bob is that he's a big Alabama guy. <laughs> so I'm a big fan when it when Alabama's there because I always think of uh, in the SEC championship because uh, I always think about Dr. Bob. So roll tide, Dr. Bob. Roll tide, Serge. <laughs> Love that. Um, and then for myself, I it, it I know this has been said, but it's completely blew my mind that Dr. Bob taught over three thousand students at Crummer. Like that's just that number is just insane to me. Um, so what an incredible impact to have on the Crummer community and all the students that have passed through the school. Um, so then in in the first half of the show, I said we're going to listen to that Crummer Connections interview. In the second half, we're going to have Dr. Bob here with our panel to hear more about his thoughts on management, leadership development, um, some advice for the Crummer community, and some tips for lifelong learners. So please stay tuned for that. But first, like I said, we're going to check out that Crummer Connections interview. The next thing you hear is going to be J.B. Adams welcoming the guest. So let's get started. Today's guest is Dr. Robert Prescott, former executive in residence, associate professor, and now continuing graduate faculty of management at the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. His area of focus is individual, group, and organizational behavior, and he carries life certifications in human resource management. He holds the special distinction of having had a full 18-year career in the telecommunications industry before pursuing his PhD and becoming a professor. Dr. Robert Prescott, welcome to the show. Oh, JB, what an honor to be with you and with the Crummer family today. Um, I, I first and foremost um, have to share this with you as we get started here. I found myself over coffee this morning reflecting back on my 16 years at Crummer, and, and I wanted to, to really say a good hearty hello to the most important people uh, that may be listening to this podcast, and that's my former students and the alumni of Crummer, all of them. Uh, I did the quick math and uh, spent 16 years at, at Crummer teaching uh, 
oh, five to six uh, courses per year. And that equates over a 16, 17 year period uh, to about 3,300 MBAs. And I just can't tell you how much I learned from them when they thought I was teaching them. So it's, it's a two way street and lifelong learning is exactly that. And we'll come back to that point later in the discussion. Oh, well, that is definitely true. Uh, all of our lives touch each other. I mean, I think we're all put on this planet to learn from each other. Um, your area of expertise is management. Your specialty is human behavior. What is particularly important in organizational behavior right now? Why do you think business leaders should be paying attention to this? Well, as has been, uh, JB, but recent events uh, certainly drive us toward the consideration of dealing with change in our organizations. Um, there's an old proverb that says, may you live in interesting times. And my goodness, um, no one thought we would leave, live in this interesting uh, of a time. To say the least. <laughs> but I would say dealing with change, adapting to change, uh, embracing change, finding ways to, to break through change and to continue to foster a, a behavior of an organization toward the goal of the organization is probably the most important thing that that I teach and right now and have and, and right now and I continue to do with uh, with other companies and organizations as as I continue to do consulting and workshops. What would you say is something that people are telling you about the difficulties of the time? The, the difficulties of the time is um, is really getting people to continue to communicate in, in virtual settings, uh, continuing to share a, a, a common culture or purpose of the organization when yet we are separated by our face, normal face-to-face -face communications and behaviors and interactions. And from your observations, what does stepping up look like? Hmm. That's a great question. Uh, stepping up is is putting on your T-shirt of I can handle change, right? It's putting on your your organizational attitude of embracing the change and adapting to change and, and working with others, knowing that no one of us has the exact answer for that change, but that all of us together can help readily deal with that change and, and come up with effective remedy for dealing with that change. Okay. And, and by the same token, I mean, I want to go there. What does falling down look like? And speaking of remedies, what might some remedies be? Yeah. Falling down includes uh, running from change, hiding from change, ignoring change, or uh, as we see in some organizations, uh, even some employees clandestinely undermine change because we, we feel comfortable as human beings with the status quo. Listen, sociology teaches us that 83% of us don't like change. You know, don't come and disrupt my order. Don't come and disrupt the way that I do things. But when you get groups of people together, then you have a multiplicity of ways that people like to approach and deal with change. Only 17% of us then like change and in fact drive uh, our way toward change and, and rally, try to rally the troops to help deal with the change. And well, guess what? Those 17% scare the heck out of those 83%, <laughs> right? And so what, what could be the common denominator? What could be the stake in the ground that, that we as a cumulative group uh, in an organization of employees can, can rally around 
that change and try to improve the, the, the business growth that we're trying to achieve or the business sustainability that we're trying to achieve. I think it's purpose. I think it's purpose with a keen focus on accountability and responsibility. So I kind of answered uh, what does falling down look like, but yet gave the prognosis of in the prescription for focusing on that, being held, being responsible, being held accountable, and then rallying around that in a, in a, in a cumulative way of accepting of each other's styles and competencies. All right. With your permission, I'm going to label that the takeaway. So let me just reiterate what I heard. In these challenging, changing times, we need to have a sense of purpose. Yes. We need to take responsibility. And, be held, and be held accountable for that. Mm-hmm. And in fact, welcome that accountability. You know, lay it right here. I'll get it done. Lay it right here. Present the issue. Present the challenge. And we will work together in, in individual work and group work for organizational purpose. Perfect. We're going to move on to your backstory, and that gives us a chance to get to know you and understand your early business influences. So let's just start with the basics. Tell us where you were born and raised and what generation you identify with. Oh, me. I was born and raised in Birmingham, Alabama, and I'm and a proud member of the baby boom generation. I went to um, uh, an, an older, one of the older inner city schools in Birmingham called Woodlawn High School and grew up in Birmingham all of my years and then wound up going to undergraduate school only about 70 miles away at the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa. My, uh, my first... Uh, my first uh, focus in study was actually going to be pre-med because I was um, the, the son of uh, a physician. My uncle was a physician and my grandfather was a physician. Now, I'll go ahead and give you the punchline to the joke. Uh, I later went on, as you know, certainly to get my Ph.D. from Penn State. And now I'm the kind of doctor who cannot help you. Well, I, I was going to say that it's fascinating to learn that you consider uh, that you considered being a physician because you have a very approachable bedside manner. Well, thank you for that, JB. Uh, thank you. Uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, sometimes you 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 give what you get, right? And and I had those people in my life as well, who were warm and genuine and approachable, and were were willing certainly to share and to help me grow. And so I think I deserve to hand that back to those who come along or have come along and, and serve as my students and learners as well. Terrific. Uh, let's find out about what happened after you graduated. Um, you have some specific role models that influenced your early years. Well, I do. And two of them, and, and um, both of them taught me some uh, unique lessons. The first was a lady named Emma Russo. And I worked for her actually with, from, with Bell South Corporation uh, in Huntsville, Alabama. And she's the one that taught me uh, the rule and the law of taking personal responsibility. Uh, do the job that you were hired to do, and then don't be afraid of being held accountable for it. In fact, she taught me uh, not to be afraid of failure because effort uh, was going, if you were really trying to do your job and to do it the right way, then you you would fail from time to time. The, the key learning from that is to fail small, or as, some, or as some people say, fail forward, you know, fall forward. I heard, uh, actually, I saw on LinkedIn yesterday, one of our former MBA students uh, 
uh, Marco uh, refer to falling forward, right? And so failing small or falling forward. But what Emmeline did for me in my young years as a supervisor was to teach me uh, not only that responsibility and accountability, but the, the health of talking about that with her. And she actually served as a coach for me to look for better ways to do things, more unique ways of doing things, and yes, occasionally ways not to do certain things to learn from that. Uh, just out of curiosity, it, and it sounds like you were supervising people and she was managing you there. Um, so there were some moments of failure. What I'm curious about is how did she treat you in those moments of failure? She treated me like a learner. She treated me like um, um, an open door that she had that I could come in and feel comfortable. And this is gonna be something I refer to in, in a few minutes as we talk further, um, trust. Mm -hmm. there, was, there was an automatic trust with Emma uh, that we could talk openly about the good and the bad and the ugly. We could talk openly about what we did right and what we did wrong, but most importantly, uh, opened the door to a genuine conversation for being coached in how to perform at, at, at a more productive rate. Valuable stuff, particularly for managers. And, and if I may say, it, it sounds like this is the takeaway. But before we get to the takeaways, do you have another example that you wanted to share? Yeah, I do. His name's Lynn Fowler. And Mr. Fowler was um, uh, my third level above me um, as I became a manager in, in Bell South. And, um, you know, when you go to those meetings with uh, two or three levels higher than you, those meetings become much more strategic in nature of their discussion. Um, and Mr. Fowler would uh, uh, really portray that by giving the statement when we would all ask, so what do you want us to do? And Mr. Fowler said, well, Bob, I want you to do whatever's right. And he had a tendency to repeat that over and over. It used to drive us crazy, right? Well, Bob, uh, that's a great question um, and, a great, and a problem it sounds like uh, needs to be dealt with. Uh, just go do whatever's right. And I go, no, no, Mr. Fowler, please give me the answer. Lay it out for me, A, B, C. And he said, okay. He said, um, this, I'm, I trust in you that you'll go do whatever's right. And so it, it took a little while, maybe even some months, JB, before I finally, I'd, I'd leave his office going, what does he mean by do whatever's right? And it finally hit me that he wanted me to think through the problem solving process, the decision making process to rectify what might be a challenge or an issue for the company and for my department. And so what I learned from that, and again, the takeaway, and we'll, we'll, we'll go back over these again, I can summarize it uh, for you, is to be a critical thinker to think, then plan, then act, then do, you know, and that's an old org behavior um, uh, mantra that, that is taught in every org behavior class across the world, right? You know, the, to think, plan, act, do, but I see so many organizations who are always going, you know, ready, aim, fire, right? That's the way it should be, a ready, set, go. And but so many organizations run around going, ready, fire, ready, go, you know, and don't stop to think through how they're going to think through the approach to solving a problem. Let me give you a great example. 
I see so many team meetings where people come into a meeting and they spend an hour arguing with each other. When all we needed to do is to turn that, to do the colliery of that and to come in and talk about how they can support and supplement each other, to talk about it in positive, in appreciative inquiry. Uh, well, I am a big fan of appreciative inquiry, and I think that you may have provided the takeaway, but I would just like to take it a step further. Okay. Uh, based on the examples that you've shared, uh, I think there's a fundamental trust that needs to happen between the managers and the people who report to them. So what do you think it is that prevents managers from developing this trust? JB, that list is awful long, my friend, uh, of, the, of the list of reasons why trust isn't fostered in an organization. But let me let me try to uh, boil it down to, to a simple um, thing and tie it back to purpose, which we've already talked about. First of all, we're all different, right? Some of us are similar. Some of us are drastically different. And some of us have certain things in common or indifference with each other. We're all motivated by different styles, by different uh, motives with, within us and the values that we hold dear. When you get a group of people, be it two people in a room or 200 people in a room, good managers, good leaders, good employees take into consideration that everybody in the room is not exactly like them. And so their goal becomes, instead of fighting that, becoming a part of that. Now, some people call that diversity. Some people call it inclusion. Some people call it employee engagement. But what the at sum for that is, is trust. If we're able to sit down and listen effectively, to what the other person has to say, to present our ideas as well, to look at a problem or a situation in a comprehensive fashion and have as the common denominator purpose, the purpose, what's the goal of the organization? If we can do all of that work, all of that and, and d demonstrate all of that behavior in appreciative ways with each other, targeted at fulfilling the mission of the organization. That's why we chose to work there. That's why we chose to be a part of this common thrust. Absolutely. It is a choice and it's a great reminder. Uh, you choose to be here. You can leave at any time and we're on a learning journey together and we have to help each other get through it. Um, our guest is Dr. Robert Prescott, also known as Dr. Bob, and we will be back in a moment to learn more about his professional journey. Please stay with us. Hi, I'm Mallory Bliss, an Early Advantage MBA student at Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. When I was searching for my next opportunity after graduation, an MBA at Crummer was the best opportunity for me. I was nervous about starting at Crummer with my science background, but my fears were calmed on the very first day. Crummer is helping me pursue my aspiration of working in the pharmaceutical industry. For more information on the Crummer Early Advantage MBA program, visit crummer.rollins.edu. Welcome back to Crummer Connections. I'm JB Adams. Our guest is Dr. Robert Prescott, better known as Dr. Bob, continuing graduate faculty of management at the Crummer School. 
And uh, in a moment, we're going to be talking about the making of a professor. But before we do that, we're going to have a little chat right now um, to let our listeners know that in addition to your teaching responsibilities, you also provide management development workshops. Uh, tell us about some of the topics that you work with there. Oh, goodness. Uh, anything related to behavior in organizations, JB. Um, management development workshops, let's, let's turn that around. They're workshops to help managers develop themselves, uh, not in strategy or marketing or finance or accounting. Well, I'll leave those to the professionals who are much more learned than me in those particular areas. But in, in managing and developing oneself, right? Becoming, I used to refer to it in classes, I just want to be a better Bob, right? I just want to be JB. You want to be a better J, JB, you know? And um, so I, I continue to work uh, even after retiring from full-time classroom work uh, with companies from all sectors, uh, public sector, private sector, not-for-profit sector, um, in developing uh, and designing and delivering workshops on leadership, on communication skills, on conflict resolution, on um, collaboration, on problem solving, team building, those types of things. All right. We are going to make sure that we include your email address in the show notes so that uh, if folks are interested in that, they can contact you directly. Oh, well, thank you very much. Of course. Uh, before the break, we were chatting about your early business influences, and now we want to talk about what we call the making of a professor. It's kind of a narrow path, choosing to become a professor. And as I mentioned earlier, you had a full 18-year career in the telecom industry before you made this decision. So what were your original intentions with your career, and how did you find yourself on this path? Wow. Look, JB, uh, again, I'm, now you're asking me to do a life review. I think that's not only healthy, but it, it's... Uh, for somebody of, of my years, it's also a, a daunting task to look back and reflect on it. And thank you for you and I preparing for that and for this particular podcast to deliver this message to our to our constituents. But, you know, my aspirations when I went to work was to uh, be a good person and work a long term career with one company, you know, kind of keep my head down, feet moving, nose clean, do good work and really to provide for my family that that providing for my family has to be an overarching goal of a primary goal of, of mine uh, throughout life but then along came um and, and so i went to work for that company bell south as you've already mentioned and worked for them for 18 years in a number of different jobs and um i'm proud to say that i, I worked my way up uh, multiple positions and I got to a level of uh, director of HR for a $800, billion, $800 million division of Bell South. And uh, I kind of looked in, in a life reflection, a career assessment at a level or two above me, and I didn't really like what I saw. I, now, please, I'm not being critical of those jobs. They're wonderful jobs with lots of responsibility and accountability to provide good service to the public. But it really, what it took to be successful in those particular jobs from an attitudinal or a behavioral standpoint, I really, it just really wasn't me. I felt like it was a little bit lacking of genuineness at times and, and, and the connection with people. I needed to be involved with people. And so um, part of doing my job though, uh, what happened is a little bit of serendipitous experience uh, occurred here. 
um, I was nominated to uh, or appointed to go off and, and go to an executive high level executive education program. And I was told to choose that program based on my own specific uh, individual development plan and my own specific needs for growing to become a, a more well-rounded manager and executive. And uh, I narrowed my choice down to Penn State University. And this is where the serendipitous uh, theme comes in. Now, if I may interrupt, uh, when the company sends you to leadership development, they consider it an investment. They do. And with that in mind, they're investing in you to continue working for them. So, yes. Yeah. All right. It didn't turn out that way for me, and then, but little did I know, or they know, that that this would uh, this wouldn't happen. Uh, what what I'm I'll, I'll share with you happened over the next two to three years would would transpire. Um, I wound up going to the program, and I, I came back to my job at Bell South, and I was a, a better manager, uh, cer certainly more self aware and more keen on what my talents and skills could could offer uh, an organization. And I began applying those at Bell South. And so for the next two or three years, uh, wound up implementing many of the things I learned at this program, you know, at work. So to that degree, that investment paid off for them. But what happened along the way is the, the I had made um, a, a good acquaintance in the Dean of the School of Business at Penn State. He was the faculty lead for the program I went to. and. He called me one day and asked me would I serve on an advisory board for uh, executive education for, for Penn State uh, in their attempt to try to offer better programs. And anyway, I, I wholeheartedly agreed. I was honored that they would ask me. So for those um, a couple of years, I would fly back and forth uh, on my, some of my vacation time to uh, State College, Pennsylvania. And, and serve on this advisory board. And we, in dealing with how to help that organization grow and sustain itself over time, they decided to add a certain position to the executive education department at, in the School of Business at Penn State. And um, on my flight home, I was so moved by that opportunity that I called that dean and said, what would you think if I threw my name in the hat for that job? And he, he answered me with what turned out to be a life-changing um, reply. He said, I was hoping you would throw your hat in that room. And so the next thing I know, I'm moving my family, my life, my family, and my Southern accent to State College, Pennsylvania, and I wound up completing my PhD there while working full-time. I focused in on uh, workforce development and focused in on uh, human resource management is my dissertation topic, but also wound up that it dawned on me through going through that PhD program that my true calling in life, my midlife dream, not a midlife crisis, but my midlife dream was to become a teacher and that that's what I should have done. I had held uh, corporate training positions at Bell South, but I had really never thought about teaching as a full-time career until all of this serendipitous kind of experience came together and said, um, found Bob looking in the mirror going, you're a teacher, my friend, and that's what you're called to do. And uh, with that in mind, uh, I mean, to sort of wrap up this message, what would you say is your career philosophy to anybody out there who's trying to build a career? What's the philosophy and what advice would you give? For them building their career? Mm -hmm. Jump in the deep end. Learn to swim. Trust yourself. 
do that with education, do that with building self-awareness, do that by understanding the needs of those that you plan to serve, but jump in. You know, one of the things, uh, uh, my mom passed away many, many years ago, and, but one thing that she taught me and I was, as I was growing up was, if you're gonna get in something, get in it. Think it through, there's that critical thinking coming back to play, right? First, think it through. If you have a passion, if you have a mindset or an attitude, with a goal in mind, think that through, think about the good, the bad, you know, what, what the ups and downs, what the possibilities, what, what might be restraining you from, from fulfilling that. But once you make a decision that, and have thought it through and trust your thinking, then jump in the deep end and get involved in it up to your, well, I won't say up to your ears because we tend to drown when we do, but up to your chin anyway. Absolutely. Uh, so, Dr. Bob, I am sorry to say that we're about to wrap up our time together. And as we come to the conclusion, is there any final message that you would like to share with the Crummer community? JB, yes, and thank you for the opportunity to do that. Commit yourself to lifelong learning. Um, I can remember those early days in, in, in school and in my career uh, from 18 to 22 years old. Believe it or not, I can still remember that. But even today, as I sit here many years and decades later, I'm still committed to being a better Bob, to, to growing, to waking up every day and trying to learn something new every day. I think it would help us as individuals and think certainly it would help us as a society and as, as organizations in business to, to be committed to learning something new every day. And then the ability to take that learning and have the trust and have the attitude and yeah, have the personal responsibility to apply that in, in growth oriented terms to, to leave the place a little bit better than you found it. I couldn't say it any better. Uh, powerful words from Dr. Robert Prescott. Dr. Bob, thanks so much for joining us here on Crummer Connections and sharing your story. It's always a great pleasure to spend some time with you. You too, JB. What an honor. Thank you, my friend. This is Clara Mount. Please stay tuned for the second half of the Crummer Hour. When we come back, we'll meet with Dr. Bob Prescott to get his responses to questions submitted by you, our listeners, and Crummer students and alumni. You're listening to WPRK 91.5, the voice of Rollins College, Winter Park, Florida. Hi, I'm Sarah Neely. I am an Early Advantage MBA student here at the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. Crummer has enabled me with hands-on real-world experience that has been translated inside and outside the classroom. I'm very excited for not only the rest of my second year here at Crummer, but also in the future and to come back and visit. For more information on the Crummer Early Advantage MBA program, visit crummer.rollins.edu. In today's Crummer Hour, we're talking with Dr. Bob Prescott. He is the former Executive and Residence Associate Professor and now continuing Graduate Faculty of Management at the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. In the first half of the show today, we heard Dr. Bob describe his professional journey, experiences with group and organizational behavior, and his advice for the Crummer community. So now in the second half of the show, we have him here with us live in the VMG Zoom studio uh, so to respond to questions that were provided by Crummer students, faculty, and alumni. Uh, so Dr. Bob, thanks so much for coming on today. <laughs> No, Claire, you're more than welcome, and it's great to uh, talk with you and Kyle and Serge uh, uh, on this beautiful day. Thank you. 
Thank you. Uh, so it's it's a pleasure as always to have you on here. Um, and just to reintroduce our panel here, we have Kyle Sawyer, current excuse me, Kyle Sawyer, current student in EA MBA 37. Hey, Clara. Serge Albino, MBA 2010, co-founder and CEO of Ecospheres. Hello. And again, I'm Clara Mount, MBA 2020. All right, so just to jump right on in, because we've got lots to talk about. Um, our first question is about your backstory, Dr. Bob, and it comes from Kyle. All right, Dr. Bob, you uh, graduated from the University of Alabama with a degree in marketing, well tied, before pursuing your PhD <laughs> in uh, workforce education and development from uh, the Pennsylvania State University. What was your experience like moving to the North from the South? Culture shock, Kyle, culture shock. But you know, it's not what you might be thinking. It, it wasn't culture shock so much related to the people, uh, to myself and the differences with the people in the North. Mm -hmm. It was more culture shock related to the weather um, and just the, uh, the, the, let's say the food uh, might be a, 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 an area that you had to get used to in moving one's palate from south to north and um, I can remember also uh, having a few um, guests over for dinner one night to our home in Pennsylvania where we ser served a traditional southern meal as you can imagine mm -hmm. uh, and a little bit of culture shock on their part so I would say that the culture shock was you know geographic sure it was a long way away from uh, uh, Orlando and Alabama um, uh, but it wasn't the people, it wasn't the social interactions as much. Sure, they had a funny accent. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure to them, I had a funny accent as well. I'll tell you what I really mean about culture shock um, uh, was, again, the, the, the food and the, uh, the, the, the approach to the way that we communicated with each other and the dialects that we have. But here's what I really mean that it was not related to culture shock. And that was how we got along with each other. Let me tell you that the people in Pennsylvania are some of the friendliest, most giving and caring people I've ever met. And I think that the, the lesson that was learned for me that is if you are put yourself out there and make yourself vulnerable to try to get to know other people that they will that they will do the same for you right mm -hmm. and that we had some of the most wonderful and meaningful relationships with people that we met especially in the first year that that still hold true today i've been gone from penn state for goodness 20 years or so and we still maintain those relationships so i think the the biggest thing um that the, to, to come out of that i might as well make a, a learning point here <laughs> If you are able to look for your similarities rather than your differences, you can reach across cultures and the culture won't be a culture clash or it won't be a culture shock, but it'll be a bringing together of cultures. That commonality is the key ingredient of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, definitely, I think I think the your point on how everyone should look for similarities aside from differences, that's something that's very appropriate. Uh, in today's world and uh, I'm sure all your classmates up in Pennsylvania were very charmed to meet you very lucky to have you as a classmate 
Our next question is about leadership and organizational behavior, and it comes from Serge. Yeah, so what lessons have you learned from your students, Dr. Bob, and uh, that you've been able to apply back to your approach uh, to business uh, or to teaching? Well, Serge, the, the question specifically about what did I learn from you, my friend, uh, as well as others, are too numerous to even list. Uh, you know, I can tell you this, and I'll do it by, I know you're going to ask me about the art of storytelling in a minute, and I'll, I'll, but also I'll go ahead and share with you a real live, genuine example of something that, two things that happened in the classroom that helped me learn and helped me grow as a professor. I can remember after these classes going in to see my dean at the time and say, I've just learned how to teach. I've just learned how to teach because I, of learning from the dynamic that occurs in those three hour MBA sessions, right? Yeah. And, and um, you know, I'll tell you that uh, learning from others, I, let's play off the other question we have. I'm Southern. I tend to tell a story and then make the point. So the first, the first lesson that I learned is make the point and then tell the story to support that point. <laughs> otherwise, if you're listening 10, 15 minutes to a story, you're going, where are we going with this? And what does he mean by that? So the first lesson I learned is make your point and then tell a story to illustrate that point. But specifically, Serge, you asked me what I learned from you. And I use you in a cumulative uh, sense and uh, Serge and, and all the other MBAs that I've had the, the, the honor of, of working with and teaching. And, and that is, um, I think that of all the stories I've learned, two of them that hold true are one evening in a class I walked in and I like to open a class with kind of a provocative statement like, so what do you think of the learning organization? I, this was a specific true uh, statement I made in a class one night. And over in the, over in the left-hand corner of the class, I heard a student articulate, I think it's the best thing since sliced bread, basically. I think it's just a wonderful thing and we should all do it. And over in the right-hand side of the class, after a pause, I heard one gentleman say, I think it's the worst thing I've ever heard of. And so suddenly, as a, as a teacher, I, I went into immediate quietness and immediate pause of going, oh my gosh, how am I going to handle this difference? But the more I thought about it, the more I said, Ching, we're going to have a wonderful class tonight. Yeah. Because if we have those two different extremes of perspective in a classroom, our job is to massage both of those and come to some collaborative compromise or collaborative understanding and collaborative decision making of what are the variables that would create a learning organization for that individual student. Which leads me to another quick uh, deduction from that very story of that at any given time, I think a teacher learned, and I know I learned, that at any given time I'm missing half the class, that I'm missing getting my point across to half the class. Because it can't be the same lesson for all students. It can be the same material, but that lesson has to be delivered in different styles and different puts and calls, different emotions, different points, uh, some analytical, some emotional, some uh, pragmatic, some uh, highly energized. And so at any given time, if you expect as a teacher 
to learn or, or to be a learner for the class, to be a teacher, a guide for learning in that class, you have to adapt your style, not make them adapt to your style. You have to adapt your style to reach them and you'll have more vibrant, energized and, and hopefully learning learning field uh, uh, classes. The, uh, the the third story on that, and then I'll, I'll, I'll hush telling the stories related to your question, <laughs> is um, I'll never forget the dream team. And this was a team of students. Um, Serge, you may very well have been on this team, my friend, and how, uh, how serendipitous it is that you've joined us today, and, and I appreciate that. After a, a, over a two-year period, you tend to develop, um, as you MBA teams get put in cohorts and you tend to work for on projects together and you tend to work in team-based efforts in the classroom together. And there was this one team that after about the third or fourth assignment, they kept coming up to me as a group going, we don't want to do the project individually, we want to do the project as a team. And we said, no, no, you don't understand. This is an individual learning project. This is an individual learning. I must grade you on each of the, you know, I listed all the pragmatic syllabus uh, driven criteria for how they must uh, operate as a team. But the team says, you don't understand. What we will deliver to you will be far greater than the sum of what any one of us will have done in business. <laughs> And so after a while, so, so you let them and you, you say, okay, let's, let's see you do it. And lo and behold, they did it. They delivered in an unbelievable, I would have given 200 out of 100 points, you know, based on what I saw, based on their output. And so over the next few semesters, as that dream team approached me, I would see them walking toward me at the end of the first night of a course going, whatever you want to do is fine. Just go ahead and do it. As long as you stay within the boundaries and parameters of the assignment. And they say, thank you, Dr. Bob, we're off and we'll do it. We'll continue to perform it at high performance rates for you. And so those are the kind of students that you, you remember. Those are the kind of students that you relish. And those are the kind of students that show you what learning can really be. So I'm, I'm laughing my butt off over here because I do now remember that. And I remember Hugo, <clears throat> you cannot miss Hugo. He's a big old Venezuelan guy. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Hugo See. talks, I mean, he just, he's just so animated. So we are like, yes, let's approach Dr. Bob about this. And yeah, that's so awesome that you brought back that memory. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I'm, and I vividly remember Hugo now that you bring, bring up his name, Serge. Uh, that's, that's exactly it. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. Yeah. Oh my God. I love that. Uh, I feel like I was there just from the way you tell it. Oh, good. Well, <laughs> like, I wish I had witnessed that to be a fly on the wall for that. I kind of remember it, Clara, like it was yesterday. So some <laughs> things amazing. stay with you. Some things stay with you. Uh, I mean, you think about the impact that like professors and teachers have on their students, but you don't always think about the impact the students then have back on the teachers. That's incredible. I, I can tell you that if you if you at all, and I'm honored by it, you know, mark me over in the list of good teachers. <laughs> I am only that good teacher because of all the things that others have done for me, and that's including students and all those experiences that you take, if you're able to take it in, not just give it out, but if you're able to take it in and assess it and do, you know, continuous process improvement, if you would, for yourself, 
how do I be a better Bob? How do I be a better professor? How do I be a better teacher? That that's the mark of somebody who will grow and learn and and hopefully have an impact on on others. And that's the kind of person you want in those positions, right? Exactly. Uh, leading the next generation. Um, so that does, speaking of stories, that's a really great segue to our next question, which you know is coming. We know you're a great storyteller. We know that's really crucial to how you teach and how you talk to people. Um, so I'm curious, is storytelling something that you had to actively work on learning or was it something that was very natural for you? Uh, and, and how do you think leaders should use storytelling in leadership? Sure. Uh, it, it comes natural, Clara. Uh, <laughs> and I'm Southern, right? And, and from the, being from the Southern United States, uh, all of my folks talk in stories. We explain things in stories. We give directions in stories. We, you know, we, we, we guide others. We have family reunions where we tell stories about the past and, and even make up some things about the potential future. <laughs> But so I think it came naturally based on my on my upbringing and on my environment that I grew up in uh, with within my family. And uh, I think the, the two things that I want to edify here, you say, how do teachers develop this? You asked me that question. And I said, first of all, remember what what I did not learn um, until one day in a classroom setting where it was don't just tell a story and then make the point make the point first and then tell the story to support mm -hmm. but but i'd like to go a little bit further in that and add on some other variables some other discussion points related to that give real examples T tell the truth there, there's nothing more powerful than the truth tell stories about what's actually happened to you and when you did pay attention to those stories and kind of think them through present them in genuine ways, be, be very real and very genuine about it, but with a point, with a purpose at the end, uh, with a purpose at the front, but repeat <laughs> that point, repeat that learning point and that purpose at the end. So my, my recollection, uh, use your natural storytelling abilities to whatever degree you have them, even if you have to practice it a little bit, because storytelling, mm -hmm. I can tell you, you, you would all chime in here. Who do students like to hear talk in class, the professor or each other? Each other. Each other. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. So if you know that, there's power in that knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. If you know that, then you set up a dialogue among those students to do that and you facilitate or guide that discussion. Every now and then you jump in with a learning point, possibly using storytelling, use your own personal examples, mm -hmm. be genuine and, and, and be, but be on purpose about it and then turn around and ask them what they think about your story. Mm -hmm. Because see, it's not just Bob's story. It's, Bob's story with their insight on what they took away from that story. So this thing becomes a wheel, you know, it becomes a cycle of dialogue and collaboration and within the classroom. I love that. I think it, you said genuine, but with a purpose. And I think that mm -hmm. that's, that's advice that you could apply to most any situation. I, I do not have to make up stories. I just have to pay attention to what happens to me every day. And, and it's just so real that um, there, there are learning points that abound in, in those real life stories every day. 
You're listening to the Crummer Hour on WPRK 91.5 Rollins College. Our guest is Crummer Professor Dr. Bob Prescott, and we'll continue our conversation with him in just a moment. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Guy Fagan, an Early Advantage MBA student at the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. My time during undergrad at Rollins College was incredible. I took every opportunity to get involved on campus. I joined the Telcap Absalom fraternity, and I was also a member of the varsity men's tennis team. Crummer has an amazing reputation in the area, so it was a no-brainer. For more information on the Crummer Early Advantage MBA program, visit crummer.rollins.edu. Welcome back to the Crummer Hour. I'm your host, Clara Mount. Our guest is Crummer professor, Dr. Bob Prescott. And with us, we have our panel of Crummer students and alumni with more questions about Dr. Bob's career. Our next question comes from Kyle. Dr. Bob, uh, in your Crummer Connections interview, you said some powerful stuff about uh, the importance of being a lifelong learner. Uh, as a lifelong learner, what do you do every day to continue educating yourself or developing yourself professionally? Well, I think wake up every day, you, you've got to be a hunter. You've got to wake up every day open to the idea of learning something new and then actively going after something new to learn. You asked me to prepare for today's interview. I could have sat here and just let my 40, 50 years of life's experiences and business and teaching just kind of flow through. But I actually made some notes and I found myself getting up and going into my library and reopening some things. My goodness, I went in and read one of my own books. Imagine that. I, I read a section out of my own book to just kind of refresh myself and to relearn that. And so suddenly I, I found myself uh, having relearned something, refreshed something in my mind, put it in the modern context of today's events or today's challenges. And so I feel pretty comfortable that I've, that I've learned something new today. And so, you know, even when you learn something new, then I think you have to be open to the experience. And I'd really, really like to emphasize that even over and above just the reading part or the listening to a podcast or listening to this one hour interview is then take that and you've got to go apply that. You've got to go live it. You've got to go try it. Recognizing that you're going to go through the various stages of, of, of learning associated with that. And the first time that you try anything new that you learn, you feel kind of phony. We, we call it the phony feeling stage. Am I really good enough to do this? Am I really worthy of doing this? And then you, you fail a little bit. And then the second time you, 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 you you win a little bit and you go, oh, wow, look, I think I'll try that again. The third stage, fourth stage to where it becomes becomes you. Um, there's a very famous um, uh, TED video that I like to watch, Dr. Amy Cuddy. And she's talking about the power of body language. But at the end of it, she says, don't just fake it till you make it. Fake it till you become it. Yeah, I'm going to have to take a look for that. Kid, do you want to plug your own book? Uh, the, uh, give no, the, the title no. of it? No, there's, there's been four or five of them. So no, they're, they're... <laughs> we'll put, we'll put one of them in the show notes. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Um, our next question comes from Serge. So you mentioned uh, a, a book already or two books already. Uh, what other, um, uh, you know, uh, business understanding books or management books or organizational behavior books that you recommend, Dr. Bob? Well, I think um, 
you know, I think every leader or manager should have to work with people. Mm -hmm. Just as a preface for that, and I think you ought to put yourself at least, whether it's in an intern position or even a part-time job, like waiting tables, go out and wait tables for six months and see what you learn from that experience, right? Mm -hmm. About how we all are as part of, you know, all the children of this world, right? But, but the other thing, and if you'll excuse me for just a minute, plug my own um, classroom book, I think everybody ought to take and read their college level textbook on organization behavior. <laughs> um, of course, I'm a management professor, I would, I would say that. And the reason why is because, you know, we're often um, think that we're going to be judged by our prowess in the hard skills, in financial uh, accounting, in, in even sales, you know, and meeting results and analytics and uh, supply chain uh, uh, theories and supply chain uh, philosophies and processes and et cetera. It will be the people, it'll be the relationships that you make that that will win you fame or win you shame that one way or the other right that you'll that it's those relationships with people and asking them to get the job done working with you that become the most important please don't say i didn't say please do not say finance is not important supply chain is not important accounting is not it is extremely you've got to have a firm foundation but you also need to to understand how to interface and interact effectively with other people. And I, I think that goes in line with just building the culture, right? And and if you can basically do proper behavioral changes like that, you're essentially um, leading the next evolution of the company or of the of the classroom. Mm -hmm. And if if they can teach it. And not necessarily a carbon copy of how you teach it, but oh, they can teach yeah. the main thing yeah. uh, the right way. And I know it's, you know, <laughs> I, 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 I can hear it. I hear the main thing. Believe me, sir. You know, and if they could pass that on, it, it really what it does is that it systematizes what the company is already. And and to especially the investors, they see that and they say, wow, we have a well-oiled machine here. Right. Sometimes it's a lot, you know, it's a lot more business than revenue. There's something definitely here that we should look into. You know, Serge, the, the, the culture is the main thing. Uh, culture, the, the company, I think, with the, with the strongest, most bonded, most engaged culture wins in, in a competitive environment. And, and I love your point about, you know, you, you know your old book, OB book, my friend, because mm -hmm. culture is the last chapter. It's yeah. chapter 13 and it's where it all comes together, where all these other piece part components come together to formulate a culture, which is the, the truths and behaviors and rights and rituals that we enact on a daily basis in our organization that we call truth. We call these things truth and that becomes our culture. Formulating that culture, making sure they're, they're linked to your, your vision and linked to your goals becomes a very, very important thing. Yeah. I, see, I see so many managers very worthily paying attention to their goals and to their mission, but I see so many managers and leaders paying little credence or attention to their culture. And I, yeah. wish, we, I wish we could bring those two things together. We actually have a culture wall as soon as you walk into our office here and the same wall that you see when you leave. And everybody knows that we hire and fire based on that culture. 
Wow, beautiful. And it's 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 up on the wall. You can't say you've never seen it. So where do I send my resume? I may come to work for you, sir. Yeah, that'd, that'd be a beautiful thing. Oh, we're coming full circle. We've got the professor working for the student now. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> All right, our next question uh, comes from Kyle. I'm so glad that Serge is on this episode for a number of reasons, but I mean, he's, he's mentioned that you have uh, several memorable sayings and during your Crummer Connections interview, uh, you specifically got JB's attention when uh, you said you'll never be a prophet in your own hometown. What does this saying mean to you? Well, it's first of all, it's scriptural, but, but at, the, at the same time, it, it's, it's hard to go home and that home be the same that you left it something changed and and that mm -hmm. something may not be the home it may be you and in fact god i hope so you know i hope that we've all grown i'm, I'm reminded of um of one of my favorite it's not really a poem it's the t.s Eliot in a quoting from a book called the four quartets it says we shall not cease from exploration and at the end of all of our exploring will be to arrive at where we began and see it for the very first time that means you're working with refreshed, learned eyes. You're looking at things in the newness that they are now, not the old that they had been. Listen, I'm, I'm a very memory-based person, and, I, and I'm sentimental in that fact, and I love the memories. I'll never forget my 16 years at Crumlin, for example, and, and many of the people within that experience. But I also know that that when I, if I came back to Crummer, when I do come back to Crummer, I have to see it in its new eyes because both it has changed and I have changed. And how do we continually redefine that purpose that we have in working with each other, right? And so I think that might be one of the secret sauces or secret ingredients to, to, to learning. That's a great perspective. Thank you. All right. Unfortunately, we are having to bring this session to a close. Um, so I always end on this question. What is your closing message? What would you like to say to your Crummer family? Well, I think it comes from that T.S. Eliot quote I just articulated. Um, Never cease from exploration. Um, listen, you, you ladies and gentlemen are younger than me or on your own progression of learning and your own progression of success. And helping this world to be a better place and business be better businesses, right? I'm in a little bit different place down the path from you. And I'm thank you so much for allowing me to share some of those stories and some of those thoughts and insights for your consideration. So I think now go forth in that exploration and, and look for the new things that, that confront us and to challenge them and to go at them with wide open learning eyes but with kind of a decision-making um, uh, fortitude as well. That's wonderful. Thank you so much uh, for everything that you've shared with us today, the wisdom, the stories, the inspiration, um, and, and just thank you for being here on Crummer Hour. Um, I'd also like to thank our panel representing the Crummer Graduate School of Business. So thank you again to Kyle Sawyer and Serge Albino for your valuable inputs today. Um, and just thank you so much for being here, everybody. For having us. The pleasure. It was absolutely wonderful. Thank you. I appreciate your, your help. 
Thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon with another episode. Today's Crummer Hour has been brought to you by the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. Now is a great time to consider enhancing your career success by pursuing an advanced degree in business. And the Crummer School offers a variety of educational programs to help you become a global, responsible, innovative business leader. To learn more about the programs and begin the application process, go to crummer.rollins.edu. The Crummer Graduate School of Business. Experience excellence. The Crummer Hour is a production of Victor Media Group. It's the mission of Victor Media Group to make the world a better place by making ourselves better people. If you like this show, follow Victor Media Group on your favorite social media platform or visit our website at victormediagroup.co. Today's show was hosted by Clara Mount and executive produced by Gerard Mitchell and J.B. Adams with sound editing by Aaron Trinka. Our gratitude goes out to Greg Golden, Director of Student Media at Rollins College and the entire team at WPRK, as well as Mike Brown and Loveland Finley in Crummer Alumni Relations for their gracious help and support. This is Clara Mount, and until next time, Fiat Lux.